0: It's really great to have you with us uh, this Sunday evening, uh, especially if you're in the building. Very encouraging to have you there, being uh, here to encourage one another to lift your voices in song and praise. Uh, and if you're not able to be here with us in person but are joining us online, uh, great to have you as well. And uh, we hope that we'll be able to see you
1: again soon so we'll be able to encourage you uh, in person and be encouraged by your presence.
0: Um, I might just pray quickly for those who aren't here. There are a bunch of people who are travelling uh, in various places for various reasons uh, over this weekend. And so I thought maybe we could commit them to God's care. Um, uh, so yeah, let's pray. And then I'll get started. Okay. Dearest Father, we thank you for the fellowship that we have in the Spirit, uh, whom you have given to each of us. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who might be travelling. Uh, those who are perhaps uh, weary in their traveling uh, away from friends and family, we ask that you might sustain them uh, and bring them back soon so that we might rejoice together and in the fellowship that we share in your Son. And your name, right? Amen. Uh, there's a the service uh, sermon outline uh, you've got on your service sheets. Down the bottom is the usual QR code. Uh, if there are any questions, I'd love you to send those through. Uh, over the course of this evening, you might come. Well, I wonder if you've ever heard of the fact that he used the phrase to be without fear or favour. To be without fear or favour. It was coined by the publisher Adolf Fox, who was uh, the the guy who purchased the New York Times, actually, I think, in about 1890, the 1890s sometime. And this was a phrase that he used to describe his approach to journalism as he took over that very well known. To be without fear or favor basically means we're not going to be swaying our behavior or in our actions by either our fear of other people nor by our desire to secure their favor towards us. But in the same passage, it's both fear and favor that are almost like the twin reins that seem to be steering just about every move that Jacob and Rachel make throughout the events. free dramatic, events. Of tonight's passage. We're going to look at a bit of uh, chapter 31 uh, and a little bit of chapter 32 as well. Whether it's their fear of Laban, or whether it's their anxious desire to secure the favour of Esau, both fear and favor exert their influence on every sin that this couple made. The influence that fear and favour exerts is seen pretty much straight away from the opening verses. Have a look at me chapter 31, is where we're keeping off, uh, and verse 19. Verse 19. You might recall that after
1: having grown
0: substantial-sized flocks, uh, Jacob and Leah and Rachel agree they're going to head back to Jacob's family's uh, hometown, home nation. Uh, and so we'll pick it up from there in verse 19, chapter 31. We read that when Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household idols. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Arab by not telling him he was running. So he fled to all he had, crossed the river of friends, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up in the hill country of Gilead. It's not immediately obvious in our English translations that the passage.
1: We're told that Rachel
0: stole away or so snuck away with her father's gods, And likewise, Jacob
1: stole away or he snuck away his family from the influence of Laban.
0: Now Rachel's sneaking, or sneaking away or stealing away is quite clearly an act of theft in this case. These gods or ancestors are likely in the form of small little carvings or figures that were understood to secure the attention and the faith of of one's ancestors that would lead to prosperity and fruitfulness for him. Rachel is clearly superstitiously fearful that in leaving her father's household, she'll also be forfeiting the paper of his goddess, his ancestors, who she presumably believed is be still open. Jacob, though, too, is also seeking away or stealing away. But I don't think Jacob is doing anything particularly dishonestly. Or it's his own family that he's sneaking away from the influence of the father and the lady? Even so, Jacob's anxious, stealing away, sneaking away, certainly does signal an abiding fear of heaven, doesn't it? A fear that compromises his own settled, confident trust in what God may or may not be doing in his life. Like Rachel, I wonder perhaps if we sometimes are hesitant to let go of the favor of those former things that gave us security, whether they be the favor of uh, relationships, former relationships, maybe even former beliefs, even former faith, religious faith, in order to throw our life completely with the God of Jesus. Or perhaps like Jacob, we're fearful that in throwing our faith in God's promises, he just might not pull off, he might just not deliver on the things that he's promised. That desire to secure the favor of others, fear that God might not be things that still believe themselves to our own minds. of that. Now I reckon we can empathize, most of us can empathize with Jacob's lingering fear. Because as the events progress, Laban pretty much just acts true to form, how he always has acted. When Laban catches up with his
1: fleeing family, he accuses Jacob down in
0: verse 26. I'm just going to quickly point out a few verses here as we get through the first half of our passage. He accuses Jacob in verse 26 of having stolen his daughters as if they were just war cats. In verse 27, Laban laments that Jacob has denied him the chance to throw a joyful farewell celebration there, singing, tambourines, the whole deal. Now the thing is, of course, for most of us who can remember what's happened already to this story, the last time that Jacob, sorry, the last time that Laban threw Jacob a party, we know full well that he pulled a deceitful wife swap. His own daughters, causing all manner of grief. If Laban promises to throw you a party, there's good reason to be suspicious, not to accept the invitation too quickly. Verse 29, Laban aggressively actually threatens Jacob. He says, I have the power to harm you, I the power to hurt you. Uh, Laban threatens Jacob. And then down in verse 43, Laban insists, in what's pretty bold words, the women. Are my daughters. The children are my children. And the flocks are my flocks. All you see, Jacob, are my ladies It's
1: kind of understandable that Jacob might be about his ongoing relationship with labour. And yet, it turns
0: out, as we notice Read after, um, after uh, Laban is caught up with Jacob, then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And uh, Laban confesses this again down in verse 29. Verse 29. Uh, Laban says, I have the power to harm you, but last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Not for the last time. God is more attentive to the perils of Jacob's faces than Jacob often gives credit to. Before. God intervenes to warn off Laban from both either threatening Jacob or from flattering him with favors, each of which had the Blessings that God Himself had promised. That's happened several times, hasn't it? Both Laban's threats and Laban's promises of favour have distracted Jacob from entrusting himself to God's care fully. And God intervenes to make sure that doesn't happen again. Now, Laban isn't only angry about what he considers to be the theft of his daughters and his grandkids and his flocks, Laban's equally enraged by the sneaking away of his household gods, of these ancestral totems. Then Rachel is stuck away. Unlike Jacob's sneaking away, Rachel's really is theft. Uh, Unaware that Rachel is the culprit, Jacob says, Have a look throughout my whole camp, throughout everyone's tents. Whoever has taken these gods, these totems, they will not live. And in fact, in a couple of chapters' time, we'll actually find that Rachel does die in the process of childbirth. After, right after. Seems to be another offence involving household gods and totems. Uh, that's for a couple of weeks' time. Uh, have a look at me how Laban's search for these stolen gods and the totems kind of plays out. Have a look at chapter 31, verse 33. Verse 33. To pick it up. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, and into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two female servants. But he found nothing. came out of his tent. He entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods, put them inside her camel saddle, and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent and found nothing. Rachel said to his father, "Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I am having my period." So he searched but could not find the household. a deep and tragic irony in these verses, especially given that these events are occurring, even as Rachel was struggling to conceive her second-born son. The son after her first son, Joseph, was born. She declared, may God give me another. And she's in the process of longing for that child to be delivered. And it's no coincidence that Rachel uses her period as a ruse to hide these gods. Jacob's wives, for Rachel, even more than for Leah. The menstrual flow is not just simply some socially awkward or even painfully debilitating moment in the month. For Rachel, it's a sign. It's an unwelcome reminder of this second conception that she still covers her sister for, that is still not being granted to her, that is still not being. And the tragic irony is that these gods or these totems, whose favour Rachel hopes will meet her heart's desire, are utterly impotent to meet her maternal needs. Yet she still covets the favour of these gods and ancestors, even as they're completely unable to deliver the conception that she most hopes for. We don't have too much time to reflect on this little, really fascinating uh, part of the story of the season. But I do want to point out this book that maybe you know, I might like to have a look up later. I've got the details from the service sheets as well, because the Bible is not inattentive to the ways in which our own physical, bodily, bodily experiences impact our life, like our faith, the way we think about ourselves and our place in the world. And this is a great little book, A Brief Theology of Periods by Rachel Jones. A bit ironic, but it's by Rachel. I woman called Rachel. Um, but it's a great <laughs> little book, it comes in audio form as well. There's also some fantastic. On the language menopause might be thought about as believers. And I'd really encourage you to look that up later and to um, have a little bit of a think about what it was to say. The Bible isn't squeamish or awkward about reflecting on the full scope of yeah. what our human experience is and how it impacts our life and faith. Uh, now, the verses that follow this immediate story include the signing of a non aggression pact between Laban and Jacob. And yet even this doesn't signal the end of Jacob's misplaced fears and apathy. Have a look with me at how the story continues. Uh, verse 55, we'll have a look at right towards the end of chapter 31. Verse 55, uh, after the signing of the Migration Act, and I'll continue. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left. Jacob also went on his way. And the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the can of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. And donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Laban had been pursuing Jacob with the power of And now Esau is coming from
1: the other direction to meet Jacob with a company of
0: 400 fighting men. It's like Jacob just moves from one kind of moment of disaster to another. But in between fleeing Laban on the one hand and being confronted by Esau, this is great mention, I don't know if you mentioned in notes of the beginning of chapter 32, that Jacob stumbles into the middle of a third military camp, a camp of God's own. In fact, the name of the place where Jacob stumbles upon this angelic outpost is actually meaning, actually means two camps. Now, might there have been two camps of angels there, one ready to protect Jacob from Laban, and another camp ready to protect him from Esau? Or maybe in the name two camps, is just this signifying idea of an apparent coincidence that God's angels and Jacob's family just so happen to be both camping the same place, coincidentally, at the same time. Whatever the name of the camp is exactly supposed to signify, it certainly doesn't seem as if Jacob perceives that these angelic legions that he's stumbled upon might have any relevance for him and his own situation. Uh, Jacob, we read there, sends messages ahead of him to announce his imminent arrival to his estranged brother, Esau. This is the brother who was wanting to kill him 20 years ago, who was sworn uh, to wipe him off the face of the earth. And Jacob seems pretty anxious to inform Esau that he is returning home Well, That he, Jacob, isn't returning with any intention of stealing away what belongs to Esau. He could seeking Esau's favour, not Esau's family inheritance any But given that the messages returned with the report, Esau is on his way with a company of four hundred fighting men. Perhaps Jacob has good reason to
1: be a little bit edgy and fearful. Have a look at verse seven, chapter thirty-two, verse seven. Uh, on
0: report of these four hundred men who are coming to meet him, Esau, we read in verse seven: In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups or two camps and the flocks and the herds and the cattle as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Uh, There's a great and sad irony in these verses, I reckon, that Jacob imagines this family that God himself has given
1: to him and secured
0: for him is at risk from Esau with a company of 400 men. And that his best hope in this situation Simply to divide his family in two so that at least, perhaps, maybe about half of them, 50% of them, might escape. Yet only moments before, Jacob had just stumbled through a military encampment of angels who served in his own God. They've got any questions. And it doesn't even seem to cross Jacob's mind here yeah. that perhaps God has already got covered any potential threat to the promises that he has made Jacob. Further down in verse 20, you find Jacob sending these lavish gifts ahead to Esau in an attempt to try and turn Esau's anger away from his man. Have a look at Psalm 32, chapter 32, verse 20. After sending these gifts ahead, uh, we read, uh, and Jacob says to the servants who were taking the gifts ahead to Esau, And be sure to say, Your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, Jacob thought, I will pacify Esau with these gifts that I am sending.
1: Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's goodness went on ahead of him, but he himself
0: spent the night in the camp. Literally, those words to pacify mean pretty much the same idea as the word atonement that we read multiple times throughout the remainder of the scriptures. Jacob fears that it is up to himself to save himself any time of Even while this double encampment of God's own angels stands ready and happy. Esau is trying to turn, sorry, Jacob is trying to turn Esau's anger away by his own strength, by his own purpose, with his own resources his own We should noticed though, and you probably have noticed that I skipped over it a bit, that there has been significant change taking place in Jacob in the midst of these events. So, although he's scrambling to execute several backup plans for the safety of his people, just in case God doesn't come through, he does for the first time ever humble himself in prayer. to God. I want to draw your attention to four aspects of Jacob's prayer. I've got them listed on your search sheets under point four. Uh, four aspects of Jacob's prayer that he offers to God within the midst of this great distress and fear and anxiety. I'll read them through and make Then Jacob prayed. Oh God, my father, Abraham. God, my father, Isaac; Lord, you who to me, go back to your country and to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. Notice first there, as Jacob gives his prayer, as he addresses God, he gives recognition to God's call upon him to obey. Even in the midst of great fear, Jacob's responsibility to listen to God and obey doesn't just vanish because the situation is hard. Jacob knows and recognizes that he's been called to obey this God and his to home. Continuing on verse 10, Jacob continues in prayer. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown in your service. I had only my staff when I crossed this joy but now I have come to Jacob here makes a confession of God's gracious and kind character. It's a remarkable thing, isn't it, that he can see God's grace and God's kindness even as he just escapes the hands of one rewarding group and as he's waiting for the others to arrive, he nonetheless confesses God's gracious and kind character as his name. Thirdly, from verse 11, Jacob prays, Save me, I pray, From the hand of my brother Israel. For I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers and their children. Jacob here offers God a petition to save him from the source of his fear. And Jacob isn't vague about it. He just directly lays it out there for God what it is that he's afraid of. He doesn't pretty it up. He says, I am fearful of this saving. And then continuing on. Um, but you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Here at the end of the prayer, Jacob refocuses not on the fear that drove him to pray in the first instance. He refocuses his thoughts on the promises that God has given him that should sustain him endurance in the midst of the overwhelming.
1: as I read through this chapter um, over the last week, it struck me that Jacob's great distress here is not completely unlike the distress experienced by the Lord Jesus himself as he prayed in the
0: Garden of Gethsemane that night before his own critical moment when it looked like all of God's promises were going to come from the Him. Both Jacob and Jesus had had wonderful promises made to them by God and both of them saw those were both Jacob and Jesus pray alone at night. At least, humanly speaking, they had no one else with them to sustain them in their prayer. Both Jacob and Jesus pray as a band of armed men are marching towards them to threaten them. Both Jacob and Jesus had angels on hand to strengthen them for what they had. Fear really can overpower our frail human flesh. Obedience is often too much. For our own mortal strength alone, we often need
1: spiritual help. The Lord Jesus, as much as us,
0: we're not asked to obey purely in our own strength, but seek God's do it. But there are also obvious differences between Jacob and Jesus. While both Jacob and Jesus are moved in their prayer by a deep care and concern for God's people, the people that God has entrusted in their care. Jacob, though, in that moment, he conceives that maybe he's going to lose fifty percent of them. That's the best he can do. Let's see if we can scrape through half of those people that God has entrusted into my care. But Jesus declares, as he prays for facing his own tormenting night, that he has lost none of those that God has entrusted into his care. While Jacob was willing to offer goats and sheep and camels as a gift to maybe, to perhaps turn Esau's anger away from his people. Jesus really, willingly offers his very self to guarantee that God's unjustified justified anger at us, would will be turned away. As one members of God's family, we have in the Lord Jesus one greater than Jacob, as the Samaritan woman of the world. In John's gospel, I remember looking at that passage uh, a term or so ago, as she had recognized. We have the one Jesus who is greater than even the great Father of Israel. Today. And curiously, nothing is said in this whole account about the fear and anxiety that is experienced by Jacob's white man. Nothing about the insecurity or fear that might have been experienced by the servants or the wives or the children who were following Jacob's family. But Jesus does address directly. The fears of his own followers. But those twelve disciples who were with him, actually, each one of them represented one of Jacob's sons. Jesus does have something to say about their experience as they follow him. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, we'll finish uh, in this passage of one that we read a little bit earlier this evening. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, I'll read a couple of verses that will pop up on the screen. Jesus assures his own followers with these words. Do not be afraid of those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body. Jesus' point here is not that we simply fear whoever has the greatest potential, the greatest threat to destroy us. Rather, Jesus is saying that while of us might experience authority or at least exercise power over our own is even beyond the borders of death. Fear, respect, honour. Entrust yourself to the one whose authority reaches the first. And that's clearly a lesson that Jacob's telling him himself. At the moment, he doesn't have it clear as to how he's to think about the authority of Laban, or the power of Laban, or the power of Esau, and how that relates to God's own authority. It's still grasping that God's Don't fear those who own harm the And then the following verses express something of the character of this heavenly father to
1: whom we are to entrust ourselves. Have a look at the remaining verses of the verse. There, Jesus asks Are not two sparrows sold for a Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside.
0: in a head of all done So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. If even the dead sparrow is not overlooked by God, if God's attentive care embraces even the sparrow that's fallen lifeless to the ground, then those belonging to God's favored son, Jesus, are they not worth much more? Than even a whole bunch of life sparrows, let alone Jacob's got to come to terms with just how precious God finds those who are members of his household. Just how faithful and constant and steady God will prove to those who are members of his household. And it's only as they begin to grasp that, as aren't they understand it in the coming weeks, that the favor that they might find. The eyes of others will begin to dim and lose its appeal. And the fear that is aroused by the threats of others will begin to seem less paralyzing. We'll see in a couple of weeks' time the way in which, as Jacob grasps this, a new peace settles over him. Uh, and we'll see
1: a little bit of that in quite a wonderful passage that we look at together next Sunday when Jacob wrestles with God.
0: He comes away, in one sense, a little bit worse for wear. Uh, perhaps with the greatest sense of peace that we've seen expressed in him throughout this whole story. So far. How about that? I can ask, that that peace might be steadily deepening in us? So our dearest Father, we know and trust that you are a faithful God, that you've made wonderful and great promises to us, and yet even in amongst our faith, Father, there is spreading death. There is spread a longing for the favour of others to we, we wonder if they might deliver better for us. Finally, do, us, we give us such a clear vision of the goodness and the faithfulness, that our fear might begin to evaporate, and that the favour of others might look decidedly less attractive to us, that we might find rest. Please feel free to send through any questions via that or hope.